You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton. Coming to you from the beautiful, mystic, majestic mountains of northwestern North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, <laughs> and we're debuting brand new theme music uh, that we started this podcast. I want to thank uh, my good friend uh, Curtis Evelo, Shane Van Hoy, and uh, for 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 directing me to uh, some some uh, some of these uh, these themes. And so we kind of went through them and selected. We were just kind of wanting to update the theme a little bit. And so uh, anyhow, we, we're so thankful for both of them, uh, for my good friend Shane. And Curtis uh, for helping me select a brand new thing for the Bellator Christie podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Chilton, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes to an hour that we have together. And I uh, want to let you know coming up, uh, well, first of all, this week we're starting a brand new theological series called Bibliology. And we're going to talk about, we're going to ask some big questions as we kick off our study of bibliology. We're going to ask, what is the Bible and what is bibliology? That's what we're going to be discussing tonight. But first, before we get to it, I want to let you know about next week. Next week, we have a double header coming your way. Uh, we have episode four, uh, which will come next week at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we're going to talk about uh, how has God revealed himself. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about the revelation of God. But we're going to ask the question, how has God revealed himself through through history? And we're, we're going to connect that into the scripture uh, and, and see how God has inspired people uh, throughout the generations uh, from from the beginning of time, God has revealed Himself to humanity, and we'll take a look at that as we go through. Then coming up after that, it'll be about a 30-45 minute conversation we have. Then coming up after that, we have part two to our doubleheader, uh, and we'll be, we'll be rejoined by the cowboy apologist Curtis Evelo, who will be with us, and he will uh, lead us in our first episode of the Question Zone. And we're going to go back and we're going to recap uh, some of the month's uh, podcasts that we've discussed, talking about some of the topics we've covered, and uh, looking at some some uh, uh, not only things going on with the podcast, but we're going to peer into some of the articles and question, uh, questions that Curtis has, issues of conversation that he wants to bring up. Uh, he's going to lead these conversations. He's going to lead these questions. And so we're looking forward to having a great time next week. Doubleheader coming to you next Thursday night right here on Facebook Live found at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Brian Chilton, Dr. Brian Chilton, and at youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. And of course, you can catch the recorded audio versions of the podcast on iHeartRadio, uh, I TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and really anywhere that podcasts are found. So let's jump right into the material tonight because we've got some great stuff to discuss. So modern Christians place a lot of attention on the Bible. The Bible is the book that is used as the primary teaching tool for Christian worship services. It is the focus of study. Certain services in church settings are called Bible studies for good reason. Christians hold that the Bible is the revelation of God. 
that is the Bible's primary author is God, as he inspired other individuals to reveal certain truths about himself. Or, worded another way, the Bible is the means by which God has described who he is, who humanity is, and revealed God's plan to redeem humanity. As much attention that Christians often place on the Bible, it is shocking how little attention is given to the structure, history, and characteristics of the Bible. Now, I've heard many people say, well, just read the Bible and and just seek to understand it from itself. But if we hold the Bible to be the revelation of God, then it should behoove us to want to know how to properly interpret the Scripture if we truly believe that the Bible is the revelation of God. Of God. So as we begin our series on bibliology, let's begin by discussing a few basic questions about the Bible itself, such as what is the Bible? Uh, How do we know the Bible is the Word of God? How long did it take for the Bible to be written? Who were the writers of the Bible? And what is the primary theme of the Bible in addition to what is bibliology? We're going to cover all of those questions tonight, so let's jump right in. First of all, what is the Bible? The term Bible comes from the Greek term biblios, which means books. Now, when we think of the Bible, we often think of it being a singular book. We see the Bible, it says Holy Bible on the edge of the cover, and we think, well, it's one book. Well, actually, the Bible is a collection of 66 books Catholics hold 73 books uh, to be inspired in their Bible. And so, are 66 books, and they're divided into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books, and the New Testament contains 27. The Old Testament follows the encounters that the people of Israel had with God from the time of creation to their implementation as a nation. And it ends with their their exile to Babylon and return from Babylon as they seek to rebuild the nation. The New Testament picks up the story in the first century A.D. when Israel was under Roman rule. The New Testament follows the life of Jesus of Nazareth and his followers. Christians hold Jesus to be the Son of God and the fulfillment of Messianic prophecies as found in the Old Testament. The New Testament largely consists of letters written by early church leaders to various churches across the region, and it concludes with an apocalyptic look at what is yet to come with the amazing book of Revelation. Now, we see two main divisions of the Bible, but we can actually break them down into seven subdivisions of the Bible. So we can break the Bible into seven subdivisions. And these seven subdivisions consist of the law, history, poetry, prophecy, biographies, epistles, and apocalyptic literature. Let's take a look at these seven subdivisions now. The first five books of the Bible, often called the Pentateuch or the Torah, contain the law that God gave to the people of Israel. The law consists of five books, Exodus, uh, excuse me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. However, it would be wrong to think that the legal standards of God are all that's found in this section. The first portion of Genesis contains the creation story, 
where God is shown to be the source behind all that exists. And all means all. Everything is dependent upon God. The story continues with the narratives depicting the patriarchs of Israel, their lives, the lives of their children, and ends with their untimely enslavement in Egypt. Uh, or, or actually, it, it ends with the story of Joseph. It ends on a high note, but then Exodus picks up whenever they are enslaved. So the book of Genesis ends on a high note because Joseph is a high esteemed ruler in in, uh, in Egypt. Or excuse me, in Egypt, and he delivers the people from a famine. It's an Exodus where that turns into an enslavement. In Exodus, God calls Moses, an Israelite, saved by the Egyptian princess and adopted by Egyptian royalty to set his people free. After the people are freed from the clutches of Egypt, God leads Moses to Mount Sinai where he gives him the law that is recorded in the remaining portions of Exodus, Leviticus, parts of Numbers, and retold and restructured in the book of Deuteronomy. The second subsection is called historical narratives. Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles all call this subsection home. As the name implies, historical narratives are the historical stories of early Israel. They tell the story of the early leaders and the prophets who established Israel as a nation. Joshua picks up the story after Moses' death when Joshua led the people back to their homeland. It is a book full of courage, faith, and revitalization. The book of Judges describes the unfortunate fall of the people into deep depravity after returning home. Each subsequent judge is more wicked than the one preceding them. Then the other historical books tell of the rise and fall of King Saul the rise of King David and King Solomon, they follow their lives and their rule. The historians are brutally honest. They do not hide the sins and wrongdoings of their leaders, giving the books the thrills and chills of a novel. These stories, while true, are timeless and very spiritual as the kings serve as both inspirations of what to do and examples of what not to do. The third subsection is called Poetry. As the name suggests, this section comprises books of poetry, wisdom literature, and songs. Job, likely the oldest book of the Bible, along with Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, are all found in this section. The book of Proverbs tells how life is supposed to go. If you live right and follow God, good things should come your way. However, Job serves as an example of a man who followed God and experienced great tragedy. Ecclesiastes is a book of great profound nature uh, that is quite depressing unless you read it under the lens of the last few verses, showing that everything in life is meaningless except if you were to follow God. The Koheleth, or teacher, highlights the meaninglessness of life without the transcendent anchor found in God. The Song of Songs serves as a vivid example of the beauty of love between a couple, also serving as a beautiful example of God's love for us. All of these book, books connect together to show that life is designed to function a certain way, but these books are very honest in that life doesn't always go, go according to plan. In the end, as, as, uh, as uh, the writer says in Proverbs 16.9, 
In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. The fourth subsection is called prophecy. This subsection holds the writings of various prophets who lived after the split of Israel, which morphed into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The prophets prophets served as God's mouthpiece. They often gave messages of warning, exhorting people to change their ways before they faced an inevitable time of hardship. These judgments could be avoided if they sought the protection and holiness of God. Regrettably, the people rarely listened. Nothing's changed, as Solomon says, nothing nothing is new under the sun. The prophets were not only foretellers predicting the future, but they were primarily foretellers preaching about the woes of the current generation. The prophets are divided into two further subsections, the major prophets, which are larger books, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations, and smaller books called the minor prophets, which consist of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and ending with the book of Malachi. For the last subsections, we now turn to the New Testament. The fifth subsection is called biographies. Some hold that the first five books are biographical. However, the book of Acts could also be considered a historical book. Nonetheless, I digress. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Traditionally, Matthew is held to be written by Levi Matthew, a former tax collector and then turned disciple of Jesus. His primary audience is Jewish in nature and those interested in Jewish beliefs, although it's not only to that audience, but that may very well be the primary audience he had in mind. Matthew links Jesus' life back to the prophets of old, often showing Jesus as the fulfillment of the messianic expectations. In the Gospel of Matthew, you can find a lot of classic teachings of Jesus, including the wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Joaquin Jeremias believes that this may have even been a catechism for the early church. You can also find several classic parables and, of course, the Olivet Discourse, uh, which shows what is yet to come. Matthew is often believed to have been written around A.D. 50 through A.D. 70 and likely came about in stages, having first most likely written a Hebrew copy and then eventually the Greek copy that we have now. The Gospel of Mark was written by a man known as John Mark. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas and a traveling companion of Paul until a mysterious disruption caused Paul to part ways with Mark. John Mark gives a treatise primarily uh, directed to a Roman audience in mind. Mark does not give a lot of lengthy messages. He's quick and to the point, often using phrases like, and immediately they went. Mark's gospel is neither overly concerned with chronological accuracy nor fine-tuned details. Rather, he seeks to preserve the teachings of Simon Peter so and what you have in the Gospel of Mark is you have, really, the Gospel of Simon Peter. And he does so with great quickness and rapidity. Uh, Mark's Gospel often reads like an action movie as he moves from one scene to the next. Mark uh, likely wrote his Gospel sometime in the A.D. 50s. Some hold that it may have even been earlier. The Gospel of Luke is the exact opposite of the Gospel of Mark. Mark. 
Luke the physician, a doctor, wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a colleague of Paul the Apostle. With great precision and detail, Luke, as he says in the very first few verses of his book, writes an orderly detail, an orderly account of Jesus' life. While not an eyewitness of Jesus himself, Luke set forth to interview various individuals who were eyewitnesses and, uh, and detailed their stories in, exquisite, in the exquisite fashion of a historian. The Gospel of Luke was likely written in the late 50s or early 60s, although some argue that the Gospel was written in the 70s. The Gospel of Luke was written with an intellectual Greek audience in mind. His Gospel contains some of the classic parables of Jesus, including the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Prodigal Son, among many other classics. And he also deals a lot, uh, engages a lot of uh, with Jesus' interactions with non-Jewish uh, audiences, with Gentile audiences, uh, with Gentile people. The last Gospel is the most unique of all the four Gospels. It's the Gospel of John. Most likely, John the Apostle wrote the fourth gospel later in life and likely while he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. It is one of the last New Testament books to be written. Most likely, the gospel was penned in the mid to late 80s, and John's audience included all future generations of Christians. For that reason, his gospel is the most spiritual and theological in nature. In contrast with the first three Gospels, John focuses on the Judean ministry of Jesus and Jesus' theological impact. Because, um, excuse me, because of the later time of his writing and different focus, John provides some stories and teachings that do not appear in the other three Gospels. In John, you will find the I Am teachings of Jesus, the story of the raising of Lazarus, and various other post-resurrection stories not found anywhere else. If you are new to the Bible and haven't read any of the Bible, John is an excellent starting point, and quite frankly, the Apostle likely had that in mind when writing this glorious book. The book of Acts continues the story of the New Testament church from Jesus' ascension to the imprisonment of Paul. Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Therefore, Luke the physician also wrote this book. Acts continues the story of the church by primarily looking at the lives and ministries of Simon Peter and Paul. The book of Acts was likely written before A.D. 64, the year that Paul and Peter were executed in Rome. The sixth subsection is the epistles. Rather than letters written to one specific person, epistles are circular letters written to a church, group of people, or a group of churches. The Apostle Paul was the primary author of these letters. However, the Catholic epistles make up another section within this group. They contain letters ascribed to James, Jude, Peter, and John. The seventh subsection is called Apocalyptic Literature. And this apocalyptic literature focuses on the end times and the eventual victory of God and the ultimate culmination of history. While apocalyptic literature can often be frightening due to its imagery, when the symbols used by the apocalyptic writers are correctly interpreted, the message of apocalyptic literature is often very optimistic. 
the book of Revelation, parts of Ezekiel, and parts of Daniel. You may even be able to say that parts of the Olivet Discourse are apocalyptic nature in nature. But all of these, parts of Revelation, Ezekiel, and Daniel, are considered apocalyptic literature. So how do we know the Bible is the Word of God? While a full treatment of this issue can't be offered at this time, we do have numerous reasons for believing that the Scripture is the Word or revelation of God. So first, consider the inspiration of Scripture. Simon Peter regards the nature of Scripture as one that comes from the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter 1, verses 20-21, Peter writes, First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Thus, if Simon Peter is right, and Scripture flowed from the prompting and communication of the Holy Spirit, then it stands to reason that the Scripture is God's divine revelation. Furthermore, even though God used human agents to bring about the books of the Bible, the human authors are under the instruction of the ultimate capital A author, and that author is God. God said to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy concerning his prophets and looking to the end time prophet being Jesus in Deuteronomy 18.18 18, saying, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. God has been in the practice of using human agents to reveal his truth. Second, consider the instruction of Scripture. Paul writes that Scripture is, using a Greek term here, theonoustos. What does that mean? Well, it means God-breathed. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is the primer, the primary manual for Christians. Thus, if the Bible is God's written revelation, then we know about God through the truths He provided about Himself in Scripture. Secondly, the Bible is used to rebuke. In our time, we like to mold the Bible to say things that we want. And when I say this, most people often think of uh, taking away things from the Scripture in some sense. However, the opposite is also true. Often, denominations and churches have added things to the revelation of God that sometimes oppress and legislates certain criteria that's not necessarily found in Scripture. Therefore, Scripture convicts both people from both aisles, or I should say convicts people from both aisles, of the uh, of both sides of the aisle when uh, properly understood. And then third, uh, Scripture corrects and trains a person to live a life of righteousness. When the Bible is allowed to speak what the ultimate author intended, it is shown to be factual and inspired. The problem often comes when we place more emphasis on our interpretations than attempting to understand the actual teachings of Scripture. In other words, we should allow God to mold us in His image through the Word rather than trying to mold God in our image. Now, let's ask this simple question. How long did it take for the Bible to be written? Well, the Bible spans a time frame of over 2,000 years. Most likely, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. 
Though many scholars believe that it may have been written much later, Roy B. Zuck in the Bible Knowledge Commentary offers a compelling case that Job was likely a contemporary of Abraham. And if true, that would place Job and the story around 2100 and 1900 B.C. Some contend that the story may have been passed along as an oral tradition until the time of Moses when he ultimately recorded the story in a book. Or it may have been that Job himself uh, wrote the story about himself or one of his friends or contemporaries may have. In the end, the story of Job is certainly certainly, uh, one of the oldest, and the books is one of the oldest in Scripture. Revelation is the last book of the Bible to be written. John the Apostle likely wrote the book around 95 AD. So if we are to accept both dates, Job being the more controversial of the two, then the Bible spans a remarkable uh, period of 2,195 years. Now that is one of the more loosely inter- given, if, if, we, if we accept uh, Roy B. Zuck's interpretation of Job, and if we accept the more confirmed and tightly knit uh, accepted tradition that Revelation was written around 95, then we're looking at, loosely speaking, 2,195 years. The Bible, it took over 2,000 years for the Bible to be written. Amazing if you stop and think about it. Who were the writers of Scripture? Now, this is another important question. We know who the ultimate author of Scripture is, and that's God. But who were the ones? Who were the agents that God used to write these truths down? Well, it's important to remember that the Bible traverses a vast number of societies and civilizations. The first individuals recorded in the Scriptures were the patriarchs, who were Semites, living as Sumerian nomads. Then the people developed into communities, then city-states, until they finally formed a nation. At certain times, the people lived as slaves in Egypt, and at other times, they lived as prosperous citizens of a mighty kingdom. Eventually, the Bible ends with Jewish followers of Jesus living under the auspicious rule of the Roman Empire. God used at least 40 individuals to write the Bible. And here are a few of the more prominent writers of Scripture. Moses wrote the majority of the first five books of the Bible. Now, of course, he didn't write about his death. He wouldn't have been there at that time. But the majority of the first five books were likely written by Moses. Now, there are others who would say otherwise, but we're taking a traditional view. Uh, Psalm 90 is often ascribed to Moses as well. It is likely that Moses collected stories, the stories of his people while living in Egypt, as he encountered the living God and the redemption of the people of Israel from the enslavement of Egypt, he likely documented their theological history in addition to the law that God gave them. Moses would have been a highly educated, sophisticated gentleman, having been granted the best education that Egypt could offer. Moses would have certainly been a man who could have accomplished this great feat. King David is one of the most prolific writers of the Bible. He collected the majority of the Psalms in the book of Psalms and penned at least 73 himself. King Solomon was the son of David. He, was one, he is said to be one of the wisest kings of Israel. Uh, Solomon collected and likely wrote most of what is found in the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. Unsurprisingly, the name identified as the, the or excuse yeah, the name identified as the wisest man of Israel was known for his wisdom literature. God used many individuals as writing prophets. 
The prophet Samuel was an early prophet. He likely wrote the vast majority of what is found in First and Second Samuel. The chief of them, uh, the chief of the early uh, prophets, were uh, or the writing prophets was Isaiah. Isaiah wrote a large masterpiece that spoke of the upcoming Messiah and the restoration of Israel. Many believe that he may have been executed by being sawn in two. Jeremiah, often called the weeping prophet, wrote the book ascribed to him along with the book of Lamentations. Many Jewish and Christian scholars alike believe that Jeremiah may have penned First and Second Kings as well. Baruch, Jeremiah's assistant, likely helped him write these documents. Like Isaiah, he wrote a large book that often spoke of the pending judgment that was to come to the people and about the ultimate restoration that would eventually come as well. Additionally, God used Ezekiel to write a compelling yet bizarre prophecy that included a futuristic look at the third temple in Jerusalem. Other prophets included Daniel, Amos, Hosea, Habakkuk, and all the minor prophets. Like Moses, the prophet Daniel would have been a man of great education and sophistication. He likely penned most, if not all, of the book that bears his name. In addition to writing the book that holds his name, some also hold that the prophet Ezra uh, was behind the writing of First and Second Chronicles. He may have authored other books or portions of them as well. In the New Testament, God used Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Simon, Peter, James, and Jude, among others, to write the books in this collection. If uh, Additionally, if one of Paul's companions wrote Hebrews, such as Barnabas or Apollos or Luke, uh, then there was really more a, a Barnabas or Apollos, then there would be another person to add to this list of writers. As you can see, there were a vast number of people who were, who were the writers of Scripture under one, the direction of one ma- uh, major author, which was God himself. Now, you may think there's there's 40 writers spanning 2,000 years, 66 books. Do they have anything in common? So what is the primary theme of the Bible? Well, as complicated and expansive as the Bible is, its message is relatively simple, <laughs> amazingly. And that's one of the reasons I believe that we can hold that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible's main message is one of redemption. The, the great narrative thread that connects the 66 books of Scripture tells the story of God's loving creation, of humanity's sinful fall, and of God's ongoing effort to redeem mankind from sin and humanity from themselves. The story of the Bible reaches its climax with Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God and the Savior of humanity, with the horror of his crucifixion and the glory of his marvelous resurrection. And the story culminates with God's restoration of humanity and creation in the new heaven and the new earth. As my dad used to say, the Bible is all about love. If you take love out of the Bible, then you have removed the message of the Bible. I believe my dad was absolutely right. Love is the centerpiece of the Bible. God's love for us. God's love for you. So as we look at the Bible and we answer all these different questions, that brings us up to the the question about bibliology. We're starting this study on bibliology. So what is bibliology? Of all of our questions tonight, really this one is the easiest to answer. Bibliology is the study of the Bible. 
That's what this study is all about. It's a study of the Bible. As we mentioned, biblios means books. Logos means the study of something. Thus, bibliology is the study of the Bible. Bibliology includes hermeneutical issues. That is, fancy word to say, how do we interpret the Bible? Hermeneutics is all about understanding what the Bible is trying to say to us rather than us trying to say what the Bible should say. It deals with canonical issues or how the early collectors of Scripture identified which books were inspired from those that were not. One of our first explorations of bibliology will peer into the nature of revelation. How has God revealed himself throughout history? And that will be the topic of our conversation next week. We will also be joined by the cowboy apologist Curtis Evelo for the first episode of The Question Zone. We hope that you will join us for this fascinating study. Until then, we thank you for joining us on the Bellator Christie Podcast. May God bless, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This podcast is protected under Creative Commons copyright. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to click subscribe and tell a friend. We'll see you back next time that we step into the arena of ideas.